Hey, good to see you. Like, literally, good to see you. <laughs> You've been without power all week to see anybody. So glad that you're here with us, and welcome to everybody online. I'm just good to have you. Hope you can join us in person very soon. We're actually more than happy to have you. I mean, there's something better than happy. If everybody wants to be happy, I'm happy with you on these days. But what if I told you there's something deeper than happiness? So, you know, the word happy depends on what's happening. That's where the word comes from, happening around us. And in this fallen world, you can't always be happy. If you're waiting for the happening to make you happy, you're going to be unhappy a whole lot of time. So joy and peace are something very different than happiness because it's not dependent on external things. It's an inside thing. God's spirit begins to transplant the nature of Jesus into you. That means you're going to get rid of all your problems and all your pain and all the turmoil and troubles and all that. But it means that you now have something uh, deeper inside of those problems, something that, that gives you a peace that the world can give you. And that's important. It's important that you hear this today because we're going to show you how to have this joy and peace in a world full of troubles and problems. So, big idea is that we can experience joy and peace in Christ in spite of what we experience in the world. And here in, in chapter 16, Jesus is finishing out what we've been calling the upper room discourse. He's been in the upper room with his disciples. You like to think they have the last supper. He's been teaching them, giving them warnings about the things that are to come. And in this final night, he's preparing them. As, as going to be leaving in a few moments, heading out to the Mount of Olives, a couple miles away, couple miles away, going to head off to the Bible of Gethsemane. There he's going to be arrested, and within hours he will be crucified. So the disciples are reeling with everything that he's been telling them. They have some intense apprehension about what awaits them. And he's saying, you're not in a few moments here, and pretty soon you're not going to see me any longer, but then you will see me, which is referring to the resurrection. In the meantime, it's going to feel like your whole world is ended. Uh, you will feel absolutely hopeless. Like everything you've invested in the past three plus years has been for nothing. So we have all been destroyed. But hang on. In the midst of all this fear, all this apprehension and nervousness, I'm going to show back up. I'm going to rise on the third day. They, they should have done that. It's not like this is the first time he's telling them. He told them several times if you go back to Luke chapter 9. And he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, they be raised. And then he says again in Luke 18, He will go out to Jerusalem. Everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over the Gentiles and will be mocked, painfully treated, sit upon, and after flogging him, they'll kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise. So they've heard this over and over, but for some reason, they never really got it, I believe. Couldn't believe this could really happen. So they're, they're still questioning, like, what are you talking about? Going to the Father, where? When? In a little while. And, and Jesus knew what they were wanting to ask, and he tells us, you're going to weep, you're going to lament, while the world is rejoicing. I mean, Good Friday is going to be the most miserable day of their lives, filled with terror and tears. The world's going to be rejoicing because they, they, they think they've finally gotten rid of Jesus. And in the world, is humanity that's under the sway of the enemy, of the evil one, of the devil. It's those who reject God, because they reject you. 
So when they put Jesus to death, they think, well, that's the end of it. Finally, we're, we're rid of that. And there's celebration going on while the disciples are weeping. And it's still going on today. I mean, the world, the world still wishes they could get rid of Christ. Christians, or at least get rid of Christianity, because to be rid of Jesus would be a relief. They wouldn't have to repent. They could do whatever they wanted to do. But the disciples weeping would not be permanent, because there would be a resurrection. Now, that, that's why Christians you know it's so different. I mean, we grieve, but not if the world grieves. Why? Because we know in Christ it's going to be reunion. We can't see him right now, but we're going to see them again. That is not the end. But Jesus' resurrection on Sunday, that's going to change everything. These desperately mourning disciples are going to experience a wonderful 180 degree turn into extreme joy. God turns that tragedy into triumph. He does a lot of time over and over. But in the meantime, it's going to be pretty rough time. He's going to be killed. They're going to be nervous and joyful while the world is relieved. But on Sunday, the world is going to be nervous and fearful while the disciples are rejoicing. That's going to happen in just a little while. And whatever is causing us trouble and turmoil and suffering and grief, that's only temporary. We live lives very differently when you understand the resurrection, that there's something coming, there's something better. You live with a long term in view and you understand that life, uh, this life is not all there is. Death is not the end. This is last week I heard a quote from Bill Maher, who gets all that quote to commentary, he's an atheist. And he said this he said, quote, Life is all about killing time so you die. I'm not about to live like that. I'm just here to kill time for that. That's it. It doesn't matter. You know, live life a very different way than if you believe that. Life matters, and this is not the end. And everything you do goes with you. It gives you a completely different perspective. I think that Bill Maher is going to be for quite a time. So while we rejoice now, because we know that Christ is alive, the world grieves because it forces them to face their own mortality and morality. They don't want this to be true, because if Jesus grows, it means really they're doomed. We're doomed if we don't repent, if they don't believe they're doomed. Scripture says, godly sorrow leads to repentance. So good to sorrow. It's going to lead to repent, which will lead to joy. Because now you know you're right with God, you're forgiven, you're loved, life has meaning, you're headed for heaven, you live very differently. So look, Jesus is not going to take away all your problems, and all your troubles in your community, but he brings perspective to it. You're able to to deal with it very differently. He compares it to childbirth. Childbirth is a very terrifying and tremendously painful thing for all three. Never experienced that. But, you know, they're trying to get men to experience this. You see childbirth simulators they put on some men, like they practice things to their abdomen, and it's it, causes all kinds of painful contraction like feelings. But come on, I, I just I don't believe that any man can truly Heaven, a day and a baby pass through the birth canal, men cannot experience that in the least. So as a man, not only do I not understand the pain, I don't even understand the desire to have a baby. So I don't get it. 
Why would you want to do that? I mean, I love my two sons, but if it were up to me, well, then they wouldn't exist. I don't want to go through that. Not the least. And my wife, my dear wife, she was in labor for a long time with both of them. And they're pretty big boys. And the only thing I had to struggle with was the weight. That's it. To this day, reminds me of how much I was eating while she was suffering. I had no clue what she went through. When, when did get all excited about getting pregnant? Oh, it's great. Then, you know, as you get closer, it's like, ooh, the intense anticipation of the pain that's to come. Some of you ladies may have been blessed with a quick delivery or epidural. Others of you may have been through a lot of complications and ended up with infections and all that. But still, I think we are ladies go through a lot of discomfort, Turmoil, groaning and screaming and exhaustion and why? Why? And I mean, okay, I can maybe understand the first time uh, I want to experience that. Okay, you did. And you want to do it again? And again? And something. And seven days ago, why would you want to do that? I guess because you consider the joy worth the pain. The pain has a purpose. So you're able to push through the pain. Whatever pain we're going through, in life, if it's purposeful, then we're better able to endure it. If it's a pain, that's really difficult to get through. But if you see that it's doing something in you, that it's burdening you, the nature of Christ in you, then you're able to persevere through the process. God may be preparing you. You can turn it into process. It's not wrong about that idea in 2 Corinthians. He says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this life, momentary affliction, and whatever the world can throw at you, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So it changes your whole perspective. When I like in labor, I'm sure every second feels like a minute, and every minute feels like an hour. But you know that there's something good that's going to come out of it. You're looking beyond that. That there are going to be years of joy ahead of you with a son or a daughter. So guess what I'm saying to kids when, when mom starts saying, you know I went through 15 hours of labor with you? You say, you know mom, that you got 15 years of joy with me? Don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. But really, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Look at this picture that again, it's perspective and time changes. But an hour in the dentist chair is very different than an hour on the stage with a pretty girl, right? They, they go very differently. So, all that excruciating labor is really only a little time compared to what's to come. And Jesus says that when you see me again, I'm going to go to the Nobody's going to be able to take away your joy. And he stood on that promise, he raised his hand, he spent 40 more days with them, which must have been incredible to be a celebration. And he's teaching them, 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 and he's teaching them,
incredible joy, but not just for those 40 days, but for the rest of their life, they had that resurrection joy. And even after he left, he says, you know, well, the son, Where's everybody? Where's all the people that care about me? Where's my friends? Where's my favorite? 
I get that call from my good, and if I die, I don't
Thank you. 